Support for this podcast comes from Frito-Lay in the 2023 Snack Bracket Championship. The Frito-Lay Snacker Challenge is underway, and fans are voting on their favorite snacks to crown champion. We're talking about primetime matchups between the best 64 snacks in the land. Will Ruffles Ridges reign supreme? Can Doritos defend their dynasty? Or will Smart Food use their smarts for a surprise upset? Only you can decide. Get in on all the action for a chance to win up to $1,000 or a year's worth of snacks. Let your snacks be heard. Just go to Frito-LaySnackIt.SBNation.com to vote and enter for a chance to win. No purchase necessary. Threepstakes ends April 3rd, 2023. Void where prohibited. Years worth of snacks awarded in the form of 52 coupons, each good for one bag of chips. See official rules at Frito-LaySnackIt.SBNation.com. I'm Max Reaper, editor of Royals Review, and joining me as usual is Matthew Lamar. Matthew, how are you doing this first week of the season? Uh, I'm doing good. I'm so happy that baseball is back. There are so many people talking about baseball, and uh, even if they're mad about baseball, it's about baseball, as opposed to being mad about other things that I would, you know, rather not think about. (laughs) So, always an improvement. It's nice to have that energy channeled into uh, more fruitful endeavors like sports. I I once read a book about uh, fandom and how it was like a good thing that people get angry over uh, sports rivalries because it it does take us away from like rivalries over like ethnic and (laughs) racial division lines, which I'm like, (laughs) uh, I guess that's good, but maybe it would be better if we didn't get mad at each other at all. But uh, I'll take what I can get, I guess. Uh, Jeremy, how are you doing this evening? Oh, you know, I I was doing better, you know, Saturday night, but uh, I'll get over it. Uh, did you think the Royals were going to go undefeated this season? I I was positive. I was sure it was going to happen. <laughs> well, this I, is the year. Well, yeah, I forgot I should have mentioned this is Jeremy Greco, as as uh, anyone that's listened to this podcast knows. Uh, yeah, the Royals uh, got off to a good start, but uh, they dropped their next uh, after a two and zero start. They dropped dropped their next three to Cleveland and St. Louis, and, and uh, the, the final game of the St. Louis series did get banged, as they say, weather-related uh, cancellation. Why so do they talking. say banged, anyway? What, was it, what does that come from? What does that mean? Uh, there, I feel like there was an article about that a year ago, and I don't remember, and I don't remember this being a term that I'd heard until maybe a couple years ago. I don't know, Matthew, do you know where the... Have, have you heard the term banged before? Um, when, as pertaining to like a, um, baseball game, yeah, I, I know it has other, uh, connotations. no, I, I mean, yeah, I mean, yes, in the last couple of years, but you're right in that, um, I hadn't heard it like before the last couple of years, certainly like growing up, you know, I wasn't like, oh man, you know, the little league baseball game got banged, you know, we'll play tomorrow. <laughs> like I, I, didn't, I didn't hear that. So I, yeah, it's very weird. I feel like I didn't hear it until Ned Yost started using it. So maybe it's like a Yostism, or maybe he, it's like from way back and like he brought it back. I mean, because Ned is kind of a trendsetter. So, uh, but the game did get banged in St. Louis. They'll reschedule it for May. Uh, but the Royals do stand at two and three. Uh, Matthew, you kind of wrote about your first impressions of the first weekend of games. Uh, this was before the St. Louis game. Um, what's kind of your overall impressions of the first five games? I know it's hard to take away much this early in the season, but um, if there were a couple things that struck out, stood out to you from the first few games, what would that be? Yeah, there is, uh, you know, you bring up a good point there about, um, you know, there's not that many games that have been played. Like if you think about it, 
the only reason why we're talking about these five games, like kind of in the manner that we're talking about is in like taking a huge magnifying glass to them is because we don't have any other games to talk about. If you, it would be insane to talk about a stretch of games from July um, 22nd to July 28th. Like we wouldn't talk about games like that the way that people are thinking and talking about these first five games. So that is super duper, super duper important uh, to to remember, which is, it's just, it's five games, you know, and it's not like the Rose have lost five games, you know, they, they've not played particularly well overall, but they won two of them, you know, it's not like they're own five right now. So it, it's just five games. There is not enough time to really change, you know, your opinions on stuff coming into the season. But I think, and this is sort of what I say in the article, is um, there's a difference between thinking a, th- a thing about a team and seeing it in action. And the the process of seeing it in action, I think, can kind of crystallize something in a way that you, you may not be able to get um, your head around otherwise. Um, and so just a couple of things that I think uh, stood out to me. The first thing is I thought that Bobby Witt was going to struggle at some point this season. You know, I, uh, everybody was sort of saying, Hey, he's going to be a really super great player. Um, and a couple of us, um, you know, on Rolls Review were maybe saying, you know, maybe turn it down a little bit. It's hard to be a good player right off the bat, especially, you know, as young as he is, he's 21, 21 year old rookie. And, um, you know, he's, he's had a couple of nice moments, you know, he had that game, uh, game winning, uh, double, um, in the opening day. And that was on a, on a pitch that a lot of players don't hit in the way that Witt did. So that was really cool. He's done pretty well on defense, you know, but he hasn't hit a home run yet. Um, he's hitting like 100, um, in his five first five games. And a lot of people are maybe, you know, spooked a little bit about this, but, you know, it, you can't really expect Bobby Witt to be amazing right off the bat. We always sort of, or at least I always think how nice it would be to have like, you know, a Juan Soto or a Mike Trout or a Manny Machado or, you know, ins- insert whatever like young superstar that's really good really early. But those players are just, they are the outliers and it's cool to get them and they take up a lot of sort of, you know, news space so to speak but they're not really the you know the 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 norm the norm is for players to struggle um and then i think it's also fair to say that after watching the first four games and and game in st louis um at least for me personally when the royals were pursuing frankie montas the oakland athletics pitcher in the offseason i thought sort of to myself sort of like this seems kind of odd. Like, why would they all go out and get more pitching? But I think you saw, you know, over the last five games that at the very least, the Royals don't have a whole lot of pitchers that they can rely on. You know, they can probably rely on Zach Granke to be decent. But even Brad Keller, Brad Keller had a bad year last year. Um, their other young starters um, have mixed results to be um, as, you know, as generous as possible. And they had mixed results. And really have a lot of guys that they can rely on. So we've seen that visceral, viscerally in the first few games of the season. So those are really sort of my two big takeaways. Um, and it'll be interesting to see what happens with the, you know, rotation moving forward. There's a larger discussion to have about that, but about wit, like 
you know, somebody asked me in the comment section yesterday after the game, he said, do you have any, any idea what's, you know, what's going on with him? And I basically said, he's, he's 21. He's a rookie. It's his first guy, five games, you know, give him some space. Um, we'll, we'll see what he's like in a month and then, then we'll go from there. Yeah. I mean, I, I think, uh, uh, Greg Walker, a new writer to our site, made a really good point. Like, Wander Franco hit like 105 in his first five games. Uh, Bobby Witt is not the only rookie struggling. Uh, Julio, Julio Rodriguez for the Mariners also kind of hitting around 100. Spencer Tolkerson went, went 0 for 12 to start the year. He's supposed to be, uh, you know, a more polished uh, number one overall pick, college hitter out of Arizona State. So it's not unusual for the first couple of games for a hitter to kind of struggle. Uh, Jeremy, what has been your impression of Bobby Witt Jr., uh, but also the Royals as a whole in this first week of the season? So, um, uh, Matt, Matt covered it pretty good there. Uh, the one thing I want to add, because I'm sitting here staring at fan graphs, uh, that I think is worth noting, though, again, small sample sizes, tiny sample sizes, He's got a BABIP of 143, uh, but he's hitting the ball hard almost half the time. So you would you would expect that to even out a little bit. Um, you know, 300 BABIP is usually uh, about average. So 143 is ridiculously low, and then hitting it harder generally leads to a higher BABIP. Uh, so something something you know he's just having some bad luck, baby. Uh, but he's also struck out a fair amount. Um, he, and and as has been said, you know, almost nobody comes up to the big leagues and is amazing right away. We can't all be Stephen Kwan, uh, for goodness sakes. <laughs> 2022 AL MVP Stephen Kwan, I should add. <laughs> uh, as far as the, the rest of the team goes, I, I know we're going to get into this uh, later, but the uh, the pitching is not where it needs to be. Yeah. Just just that's that that's the, the truth of it. That's the... There's, there's no sugarcoating it. There's no getting around it. There's no beating around the bush. It's not where it needs to be. Uh, and, and I'll leave it at that till we till we get more into that, I guess. Yeah, we can turn to that just a minute. I did want to kind of give my thoughts on Bobby Wood Jr. Just, uh, yeah, it's, it's first of all, it's really early. Um, he has struck out a lot, I think, early on. You know, after opening day, he didn't strike out opening day. One for four with a nice double. Since then, one for 16 with six strikeouts. Um, but... You know, he's he's a rookie. He is seeing breaking balls he has not seen before. I, I thought it was interesting on fan graphs. They have him uh, as uh, the, the, he, the only six hitters in baseball right now who have faced fewer fastballs than Bobby Wood Jr. as far as starters go. Uh, so he's getting a steady diet of breaking balls. And, you know, you saw it in the Cardinals game. Dakota Hudson was giving him nothing but just like sliders off the plate. And he kept... A kind of, you know, Bobby, you could see Bobby kind of expanding his strike zone, swinging at pitches he probably shouldn't be swinging at. Um, so I think that's just going to take an adjustment. He's got to have to learn to spit on those pitches, learn to take. Um, and, and that's 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 going to take a little bit of time. But, you know, I think you make a good point about the Babbitt. I mean, on that Cleveland game, that first opening day game, he had the hardest hit ball of the entire game, and it was an out. It was a ground ball, I think a one hopper at short. Uh, he hit about 110 miles an hour in exit velocity. Um, you know, that's going to be hit if he has, you know, a foot to the right or a foot to the left. That's probably a base hit. So a little bit of that's bad luck. But, um, you know, I'm interested to see what kind of adjustments he makes. Uh, you know, he's got the t- he's got the talent. Uh, but I think 
pitch recognition was kind of the knock on him as a minor leaguer, and and um, that's probably going to be something he struggles with a little bit at the big league level. Um, but he's you know he's going to obviously have to learn to recognize that uh, those breaking balls, learn to lay off of them, and learn to when to hit one. Like on opening day, the 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 slider that Tristan McKenzie hung up in the air that he smacked for a double. So uh, still you know still very high on the guy. I mean you, you know Matthew, you point out his defense. I think his defense you know alone is. Uh, you know, a huge upgrade over what they had last year at third base. So that alone, I think, is going to make him a valuable player. Um, let's hope the bat kind of catch up, catches up. But I think you guys have both touched upon it. The main theme in the first week of the season has been the starting pitching and how lousy it's been, save for Zach uh, Greinke and Brad Keller. Uh, you know, they're relying on these all these young starting pitchers, and the Royals, through their first five games, have a 6.65 ERA out of their starting pitchers. That's the fifth worst in all of baseball. Matthew, what have you seen from these starting pitchers uh, that uh, that is kind of alarming? And, and what's maybe what have you seen maybe uh, that is that indicates maybe they're doing a little bit better than than the, they've they've uh, their their numbers would warrant. I'll start with that second question uh, first. And I think that if you watched the game um, yesterday that Daniel Lynch, Lynch pitched, he had like multiple uh, sliders that they, uh, the, the Cardinals swung and missed on. And I was like, whew, that's, that's nasty. Um, and he had seven strikeouts against one walk. Um, so he wasn't all over the place. Um, he was pretty nasty. And those, you know, seven strikeouts came in five innings. It's not like, you know, he was eight, seven strikeouts in like eight or nine innings. Um, you can see, you can see it with Daniel Lynch. I think, um, Daniel Lynch has all of the tools. Uh, he's got fastball that he can throw at 95 miles an hour. He's got a slider. He's got a change up and that way i think he reminds me a little bit like danny duffy like a taller danny duffy you know when you think about this kind of like the last round of pitchers that succeeded um or failed um you know the, the first pass sort of like the fab four lefties of daniel lynch and michael montgomery and chris chris dwyer and, and, and john lamb so duffy was the only one of those to really do anything and what a duffy had he had a fastball that he could throw 95 miles an hour he had a change up and he had a you know good breaking ball a curveball slider depending on the year um i think that uh, daniel lynch has all of the tools to succeed but i think the sort of flip side of that is I think that the other pitchers in the 2018 draft class don't have all the tools that they need to succeed. Um, when you look at Brady Singer, Brady Singer, I think is going to be a really nice bullpen guy for many years, but I just don't see how he can stick as a starter when, you know, lefties can just spit on his breaking pitches and they can just wait for his fastball and, you know, punish it without a change up without something to sort of, you know, keep them off their toes. Um, so bracing doesn't have the change up and you, you know, you look at Brad Keller. Okay. Brad Keller does have the change up. What doesn't he have? He doesn't have the velocity, which is only going to get slower. His velocity is only going to get slower as time goes on. And he doesn't have the control. He's walked, you know, four plus batters per nine innings, which is not the profile that you need if you want to be a pitcher like the type he is and be successful. And then Jackson Coar, I'll, I'll admit it. I don't know what's going on with Jackson Coar. He seems an enigma. He's got the changeup also. He's got the fastball, but I guess, you know, there's, there's no breaking ball there that, that he can really rely on. So each of those other, other, other pitchers are, are flawed in a pretty significant way. 
And I just, I don't really know any other way to say this, but I don't trust the Royals to be able to get them to the point where they can overcome those limitations. Um, the Royals uh, track record of de- developing big league ready starting pitching is just very, very poor. I'll have an article about this in the next couple of weeks. I did not want to post it after like the first four games. Cause I thought it would just be seen as like super reactionary. It's not, it's, it looks into the sort of like the last decade plus of, um, you know, starters, but I didn't, I didn't want to post it because I think it would be reactionary, but suffice it to say that the Royals are uh, from what the data that I found, the Royals are arguably the worst um, organization in baseball over the past 10 years in developing young starting pitching, the, the worst organization. And so you know, I think that that's really the core of it is um, that they've got these pitchers with some nice um, pluses, but I don't really trust them to really have the ability to, to get them better uh, to, and to shore up those weaknesses. And I also don't trust the Royals to do what is maybe necessary um, regarding changes to the coaching staff to get them to that point. Um I know that a lot of people are in the sort of fire Cal Elder train and have been on that for a while. Whether that's the right move or not, the Royals have shown a loyalty to their guys. And if that is the right move, it might be. They're probably not going to do it unless things get really super dire. And, you know, that's that's also frustrating. Well, yeah, I, I, I think... The, the, the Royals' inability to, to develop a starting pitcher should not be that, you know, if, if, any conclusions that are dire about that study, uh, I don't think would come as a surprise to any Royals fans. And uh, I think you're right. Yeah, I, I, I agree with a lot. You know, a lot of what you said, I think there are some encouraging things from, from, I think, at least Daniel Lynch. I think Carlos Hernandez showed a few promising things. But uh, overall, really, really disappointing start to the season, uh, Jeremy. The Royals' starting pitchers are, you know, not only is the ERA bad, but um, second worst strikeout, second lowest strikeout rate in the majors out of their starting pitchers, only 5.8 per nine innings. Only the Tigers are worse so far. Um, I don't know. What's, what's, just looking at the first couple of games, what are you seeing from the pitching staff, and are you seeing any signs of hope at all? Um, well, Brad Keller was, uh, as, as Matthew mentioned, velocity has been his issue, but he was pumping them up there pretty hard on Saturday. Um, just a quick glance at Fangraph said he was averaging on his fastball 95.2 uh, miles per hour. Uh, will he maintain that? Probably not. We've seen him get pretty hard on the fastballs and then they usually soften up. Did I say um, Brad Keller? I bet I, if I did, I meant Chris Bubich. Okay. That makes more sense. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Okay. Um, and and I, I'm just kind of looking at the the lines of the five starts that we've had so far, and I can't help but notice that Zach Greinke had a pretty good start, and Brad Keller had a pretty good start, and the the what they have in common versus the other three is that they weren't developed by the Royals in the last decade. <laughs> uh, Zach Greinke, I believe, was drafted and mostly developed before Dayton Moore got here. Yeah. I, I know Moore was here for the end of his terms to, yeah. with the Royals, uh, but Keller obviously was selected in the round five. Uh, uh, but Bubich, Hernandez, and Lynch were all developed by the Royals, and they did not have great starts. Um, that's that's not good. 
um, when the Royals sat down in 2018 and drafted, what was it? Nine, I think nine college starting pitchers in the first 10 picks. Um, they were making a statement that they're going to, they're going to develop a pitcher <laughs> no matter what, they're just going to throw stuff at the wall. Uh, and, and there's, there's clearly a flaw somewhere in the process, whether it's the scouting, whether it's the development uh, in the minor leagues, whether it's the coaching they receive once they reach the major leagues, whether it's some combination of those three things, there is a problem here because you draft that many college guys. Those guys are as close to big league ready as any draft pick you can get. So somebody should turn out. Somebody should be good. Now, it's not reasonable to expect all of them to be good because prospects fail at an alarmingly high rate, but at least one of them should be good. And right now, Daniel Lynch looks like he might be a middle towards the back of the rotation guy. Uh, maybe he puts it, figures it out, and he becomes a front of the front end of the rotation guy. But uh, as Matthew said, nobody else is looking like uh, over the long term, unless they really figure something out, uh, really turn things around, and what reason do we have to believe that they will? Uh, we're not looking at a bunch of frontline starters or even backline starters. We're looking at relievers and journeymen, and there's value to a journeyman starting pitcher, certainly on a rookie deal, but they need an ace. Or, uh, you know, the they had to go out and trade for for James Shields. Uh, back in 2013, and then it, and then signed it in Volquez and and kind of get a little bit lucky with some of their other stuff, and especially with health those in 2014 and 2015. Um, counting on getting lucky again doesn't seem like a, a, a plan for winning. And since the Royals uh, are able to claim that you know they don't make enough money, that we can't expect that they're going to ever go out and really go after the big name free agent pitchers. So if they if they're not going to do any of that and they can't develop them, I don't know what are you going to do. There's no pitching. You have to have pitching as part of baseball. Yeah, you know, and I'll back up a little bit on this. I, you know, I, I think this it's first of all it's early in the season, so like you know this is only one start. And if this had been like three three games in the middle of July, we probably wouldn't notice it as much. But like Matthew said, there's nothing else to really go on right now. So this is, you know, your ERA is 67.5 because you've only pitched one game, Chris Bubich. So, and I'll say, you know, Bubich and Singer in particular have been okay in the big leagues. If you look at the t totality of their work, they've both been in what would comprise a full season, a one to two war pitcher, which is pretty good. Like you say, if, especially for like a cost-controlled contract that's a that's that's solid value uh but i also agree that the ceiling looks pretty low on these guys like that probably is what they are unless singer does develop a pretty good third pitch or barring some other breakthrough if bubich is a little more consistent because we've seen him look really good in outings only to get blown up in his next outing um you know so perhaps he kind of figures it out and, and i know i was talking to one of the commenters like change up guys like bubich seem to kind of figure it out later in the careers. Just And I'm just thinking of guys like Marco Estrada, who like didn't really break through until he was like 30. Jason Vargas, who was in his late 20s and bounced around like four teams before he finally figured it out. And I don't know if that's a, a, a you know, that's true for, for, uh, for all changeup guys, but it seems like, you know, maybe it takes a while to kind of learn how to keep that ball down, how to, how to change speeds effectively. 
Um, but we'll see. But like you know, it looks like the the ceiling for these guys is not super high. And, and like you guys say, like where's the ace here? Uh, because you typically guys that are going to be really good pitchers are pretty good from the get go. Like not not immediately in the first start, but like within their first year or two, you can kind of tell. Okay, this guy's going to be a pretty good pitcher. And we'll see. Like Daniel Lynch, I still think has that potential, uh, but. Uh, you know, the results have been pretty mixed. You know, his outing in St. Louis, that slider was working. It was working, and then he left it up a couple times and with runners on base, which that's a problem too. Um, but, uh, you know, if he doesn't make those two mistakes, it's a different uh, outing. Now, he did make those two mistakes, uh, so you can't take those off the board. And so that's something that can be ironed out. But at least I see some promise there. With Jackson Coar, I mean, <laughs> I don't know, man. Yeah. I, I'm starting to have serious doubts he's ever going to be a major league pitcher i mean uh i mean you talk about him not having a breaking ball his fastball looks like it's the most hittable fastball you've ever seen i mean i don't know like it's, it, it really is a testament to how the difference between triple a and the big leagues and that he was just dominating flat out dominating triple a and comes up to the big leagues and he is a pitching machine like he has the highest era in club history anyone that has at least 30 innings it's over 12 for his career that's just ridiculous you even with like bad luck if you're just throwing the ball up there you you wouldn't put up a 12 era and he's he's somehow done it and i just i just don't know with him at this point so i mean it's discouraging and the, the other thing is they've had pretty you know pretty good health out of all these pitchers eventually one of these guys is gonna get hurt you know uh you just kind of have to cross your fingers uh so you know it's it's a discouraging week um a lot of Finger pointing has gone to Cal Eldred, Matthew. You kind of hint, you know, talked about it a little bit. What do you think about kind of putting him in the firing line, of like saying it's kind of his fault? Do you see it as his, as his fault, and do you see the any chance that he is in, you know, his job is in jeopardy this season? I don't know if his job is in jeopardy necessarily, because again, he has been with the Royals. Um, since 2018 so 2018 19 20 21 22 this is fifth season with the royals um and they haven't really had any good pitching over the last five years i think that um one of the things that i i want to uh, one of the things that i that i want to try to get people to think about um when it comes to the royals is to consider them like uh a, a team that carries themselves like like winners and so what i mean by that is what winning teams do is if something's not working they make a change and this is not really you know it may not be cal eldred's fault that everybody is is you know being being bad right it may not be his fault but he is clearly not enough to fix the problem and if it can't be fixed we won't know if he's he's still there I think that a team that had aspirations and expectations of winning would have made the move. Um, And I am not entirely certain why the Royals haven't made the move other than they think everything is, is okay. Um, Which, which it's not, it's, it's just, it's just very weird. But I mean, if you think about it, like Mike Matheny, for instance, um, the, the Cardinals fired Matheny and Matheny, had carried them to some, you know, good playoff runs, right? And it wasn't enough. It started to not work. And the Cardinals, what do they do? They got rid of Mike Matheny. They thought that Matheny was not going to cut it for them. 
Um, and that is the type of move that I think winning teams do that the Royals just traditionally have not done. I think the Royals, one of the thorns in the side of the Royals organization or one of the blind spots, I guess, is that everyone has been in charge for so long. And I, I wonder if they've developed this just sort of like group think and this kind of protective thought process that we are the um, team that won a world series. We built this team from nothing to win a world series. It's going to work. It worked in the past. And I wonder if they're just not open enough to making changes because this is the type of change that you would expect to make. Now I will say in fairness to the Royals, um, they, if you think about a kind of similar situation back in like the 2012, 2013, when Eric Hosmer and Mike Moustakas and the, and this sort of young hitters were struggling, what did they do? They fired the hitting coach, right? I think that they might be at the point where they could be firing the pitching coach because specifically the young guys aren't, aren't improving like they did in 2012, 2013. I forgot what year it was that like George Brett came in and was pitting <laughs> hitting coach for a month or whatever. 2013. Yeah. So I think that it could be a similar type of situation, but um, that the Royals haven't, that there's been like no smoke at all about Cal Eldred being on the hot seat is evidence that the Royals are okay with it. And I just don't think that, you know, teams that expect to win the division would be okay with their young pitching, you know, sort of being this bad. And it's not that the Royals should be firing people willy nilly, but sometimes you just need to make a move. And I, I don't know what they're waiting for. Yeah, yeah, it's really interesting. Like you mentioned, two thousand twelve, and I, I, someone asked me this once, and I went back and looked. The Royals have technically never fired a coach in the middle of the season. In two thousand twelve, they they reassigned Andre David and Jack Maloof. So they, he didn't have his hitting coach job anymore. You're right, but he just went to the minor leagues. I, they also reassigned Pedro Grafal at one point to catching coach when he was kind of getting blamed for for being a hitting coach. And then the one time they did fire a guy was when when Trey Hillman got fired. They fired the bench coach, Dave Owen, at the same time. So Dayton Moore doesn't like to make midseason uh, coaching changes, I don't think. Um, I think some of that's kind of like like what you talk about. Like That's not one of the things they do. They're loyal, you know, a loyal organization. They're not transi- transactional. Uh, Jeremy, what's kind of your take on Cal Eldred? Is he to blame? And do you think he, he will eventually have to take the fall if the pitching staff doesn't take a step forward? So the interesting thing to me about Cal Eldred is that the complaining about him this year is not new. There was much complaining about him last year uh, as early, at least as the all-star break, because I know that was the point when I wrote an article where I was like, listen, he doesn't know what's wrong with Brad Keller. He can't convince Brady Singer to do what he needs to do. Um, what is, he's not coaching. So what's the point of having him? Um, and, and he's the, the, this ties back into something else that I think is interesting is that Dayton Moore made a point at the beginning of last year of saying that the Royals needed to start becoming more transactional. Uh, they needed to be more like the Rays. They needed to be more transactional. So what did they do? They did not fire their pitching coach that everyone assumed would be fired. And then they re-signed, uh, yes, I'm going to bring it up. Ryan O'Hearn. They they tendered him a contract. Um, it's kind of unrelated, except that where's the where's the transactionality? Where I I don't see it. Um, another thing uh, as as uh, 
Matthew pointed out um, is that the the good teams will move on uh, is Michael A. Taylor. I don't think a good team gives him that extension and says, hey, come be our starter for the next two years. I think they look at him and say, you know what? I bet we could do better. Uh, he's been good. Thanks for your service. Enjoy the money we paid you. We can do better. Um, and so I think that uh, Cal Eldred is uh, – I don't know if it's his fault. It's hard to say because what does a pitching coach do? Uh, are, are any of us like, you know, really 100% sure? Like what exactly uh, does the best pitching coach do that the worst pitching coach doesn't? Uh, or how do they do it better? I'm not. So I can't say for 100% certainty that, that Cal Eldred is the problem. But what I will say is that the Royals absolutely 100% have a problem with not moving on when when it becomes obvious that it's time to move on and and also you know uh, matthew also brought up eric hosmer and mike Mustakis, and the royals stuck with those guys and it worked out and that's great but they also didn't have anybody to replace them with they didn't have a third baseman or a first baseman that made a lot of sense to promote um now you remove cal eldred there's there's dozens of pitching coaches out there. There's dozens of guys who aren't pitching coaches yet that sure would like to be, um, you know. So the, there's opportunities to to try and advance there, to to look and see what's out there and try and get better. And they just don't seem to be interested in even considering it. Yeah, I'm kind of with you. I don't know for sure if like Calder really is to blame because in some at some point like it's it's almost kind of you know, the, the, the development, like it comes before that point. On the other hand, I mean, his, you're right. His job is to kind of help these pitchers adjust to the major leagues. Um, you know, it, you're right. It was frustrating last year when he's like, I don't know what's wrong with Brad Keller. In fairness, you know, him and Keller did figure it out. They looked at video and they said, okay, he's not striding enough. Uh, and they made that adjustment and he had a good finish to the year before he got hurt. On the other hand, it took until August to figure that out. Um, so that's a little frustrating. I, I don't know if that's really him, his fault, but I, I, I've said this before. I don't know that there's evidence that he's a bad pitching coach, but I don't see a lot of evidence that he's a good pitching coach. Like Alec Lewis had an article a couple weeks ago about the young pitchers and how they're trying to develop new pitches and new grips. And they talked about how they're going to the research department and they're learning all these pitches or trying to work on things that work for them. And you know whose name did not come up in that article at all? Cal Eldred, which... Maybe he has a part in, in involved in that, but it doesn't, you know, I, I don't hear a lot of articles or pieces about, oh, yeah, Brad Keller really showed me this and, and that's really helped me or, you know, there, there's, you know, what are the articles about what he's doing? I hear a lot of articles about uh, Mike Tosar and Keone Renna, the, you know, the hitting guru in the minor leagues and, you know, some of the other coaching staff. And uh, I don't really hear much about Cal Eldred. So I, I, I don't know that he's a bad pitching coach, but um I think ultimately he is going to get kind of tied to these young pitchers. And look, we know they're talented pitchers. They were first-round picks, a lot of them. Um, they, had, they had pedigrees. They made top prospect lists. They had a lot of success in the minors. So if they don't succeed in the majors, I mean, it's not entirely his fault. Pitchers got to pitch, you know. They got to execute. Brady Singer has to kind of, you know, develop that changeup. But some of that's kind of on the major league pitch, coaching staff, and it's going to fall on Keller. And I kind of think, you know, like pitching coaches and hitting coaches are kind of hired to get fired like they're the scapegoat when things aren't going well like it's not really their fault usually but um they get kind of blamed for it but um you know in this case maybe you know if we, when you have a crop of young pitchers that are supposed to be good and we've been hearing how good they are and they come up and they have you know mixed results as at best i think like, as matthew put it 
then I think uh, then people are going to, I think, rightly scrutinize uh, the kind of job he's doing. Uh, and I don't know that he'll get fired. I, I, frankly, I have a hard time believing he would. Uh, unless the team was just really mired Not at this point, far back in the standings, yeah, kind of like 2012, where it's just like they have no choice, you know, basically. Just to reiterate one of your points about you don't, we don't know if he's good, uh, but he may not be good enough. There are 30 major league pitching coach jobs in the entire world, 30 of them, and if you're not one of the 30 best, then why are you? Why are you here? This is this is not a job that you can just be good at. This is a job where you have to be the best. And I, I had I haven't seen a lot. I haven't seen much, or I haven't seen enough evidence to say that Cal Eldred is the worst pitching coach or a bad pitching coach. But I've seen a lot of evidence to suggest he's not the best, yeah, and that's not enough. And for the Royals, especially, they they need to be the best of the best, really, because they can't go out and sign free agent pitchers. They need to develop like the Rays have been developing, like the like the Guardians have been developing pitchers. Like they need to be one of the top. They need to have one of the top ten pitching coaches because they can't afford pitching, you know, on the open market. So yeah, you're absolutely right about that. The the, the bar should be really high. Um, and we'll have to see if he, he ends up keeping his job, or maybe you know, the Royals do. The pitching does take a big step forward, and we're all you know congratulating Eldridge for a job well done this year. We'll have to see. Uh, real quick, I, I didn't want to mention, uh, you know, Nick Prado's off to a good start in Omaha with. The home runs, at least he does. He has been striking out quite a bit in AAA. Matthew, how how long is the leash for Carlos Santana at first base? He's not off to a, a terrific start. Uh, certainly ended the season last year on a poor note. Um, how long how, how long would you go with him? How long do you think the Royals go with him? Uh, I think the Royals uh, go with him as long as Nick Prado is not forcing down the door or MJ Melendez, um, and as if if Santana is doing okay, then they'll 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 keep him, um, and then maybe trade him at at midseason. Otherwise, really, it's up to Nick Prado. If if Santana is still struggling, and the Royals have an heir apparent at first base, then I think they'll move on. But that would necessitate Prado to hit a little bit better than what he's hit so far. He's had the power, but he's, you know, his OPS is not very, very high. Neither, neither is MJ Melendez or Vinny Basquintino. They're all kind of starting a little slow. Um, so they've, they've got to force their way up um, before I think the Royals are okay with, you know, getting rid of uh, Santana. Yeah. I should say he hit three home runs, but you're right. He is hitting 154, 11 strikeouts and 27 trips to the plate. Uh, Jeremy, when do you expect to see Nick Prado in a Royals uniform this year? Uh, It's hard to say. Um, There was a lot of chatter about him on social media when he hit two home runs in the opening day doubleheader. Everyone's like, why isn't he here now? (laughs) Um, But as you point out, the strikeouts are there also. And uh, that was a little bit of an issue, as I recall, last year in the minor leagues. Like, he was hitting really well, but when he wasn't hitting, he was striking out a lot. Um, And it's something he's going to need to get cleaned up or he's going to show show up to the big leagues and he's going to strike out even more because that's that's as we're talking about with Bobby Witt Jr. uh, You know, they're going to feed him breaking stuff. And if he can't hit it, he can't hit the triple A breaking stuff. He's not going to hit the big league breaking stuff. Uh, I, before the season started, I expected to see him 
uh, around the all-star break. I don't really see a reason to change that right now. We're only, we're less than a week into the year, uh, less than a week into the season. So it's hard to, to make drastic sweeping changes in judgment uh, at this point, Uh, you know, unless you want me to just completely overreact, which I'm more than happy to do. Uh, But yeah, I, I still think around the all-star break, uh, he'll, he'll get hot at some point. And Carlos Santana is, he's not doing anything worth writing home about. And I don't, he's, he's, how old is he now? He's in his late thirties at this point, I believe 36, 37. Yeah. So he is, he's not gonna, he's the, the, uh, as they say, uh, father time is undefeated. (laughs) Um, So he, he might have something left in him. He might not, and and I I agree actually with the idea of don't rush Nick Prado up just because Carlos Santana is not hitting. Uh, the team uh, five days five games in does not look competitive. Uh, they won a couple of low scoring games and then they got blown out and gave up a whole bunch of runs. Uh, so there's no reason to rush Nick Prado up if uh, regardless of what Carlos Santana is doing. Uh, but as soon as it, uh, uh, as soon as Prado is ready, there's also absolutely no reason to keep Santana in his way. Carlos Santana turned 36 years old last week, so happy birthday, Carlos Santana! Uh, uh, yeah, happy birthday! I, I I didn't mean any of that mean stuff I just said. <laughs> no, I, I I agree. I think Carlos Santana is serving the Kila Kahui role of 2011. He is just here because the Royals need to field a first baseman uh, and they're waiting for Nick Prado to be ready. And so however long Santana plays is dictated entirely by Nick Prado and when they feel like he is ready for the big leagues, because at this point Santana is not providing any value. I don't see him suddenly turning it on at age 36. I can't see him having trade value, frankly, uh, at his age. Um, and, and, and with that being the, the circumstance, frankly, I'd almost rather see Ryan O'Hearn over there at first base every day. Cause at least he's under 30, uh, you know, and, um, I don't know. I feel like Santana's defense is slipping too. Not that O'Hearn has great shakes over at first base, but, uh, you know, we, we've seen him struggle with scoops, you know, at, at, over at first base when he had this reputation of being a pretty good defender, uh, coming over from Cleveland. So I feel like the Carlos Santana, uh, I, I don't know, era is going to probably come to an end around Memorial Day. Uh, it I, That depends on how Nick Prada is doing. Like you said, the strikeouts have been a big concern. Like, he struck out 157 times last year in AA and AAA, which, you're right, once you get to the big leagues, that's going to that's gonna go up if you haven't uh, adjusted. So um, maybe that's something he's going to work on. But uh, I would not expect to see Carlos Santana make it throughout the summer here in Kansas City. Let's take a break, and when we come back, we'll talk about why we can't watch the Royals on our streaming devices. All right, well, we're back, and uh, for those of you that have been able to watch the Royals, that's great, uh, but I imagine a lot of you have not been able to watch the Royals because they do not have, because they, they're the rights, which are owned by Bally Sports Kansas City. Uh, they're not carried by most streaming services like YouTube TV or Sling TV, uh, your only option right now is uh, through DirecTV streaming service. That's the only streaming app that will allow you to watch the Royals without a uh, cable authentication. Uh, even if you have MLB TV, you will find those games are blacked out in the Kansas City area. So, uh, Matthew, first of all, have you been able to watch the Royals on any uh, – are you able to watch Royals games? And uh, what? How, how can the Royals get games in front of more eyeballs? 
most of the time, we talk about tech in terms of a handful of gigantic companies like Google, Meta, and Apple. But some of the most interesting stuff we find online is the product of a single person. When you're working on your own, I think there's this beauty of being able to come up with an idea and then implement it. Then, in that moment, you don't have to have permission from someone else. There's no red tape. In the Vergecast series, Solo Acts, we'll get to know these people, the tech they use to get stuff done, and the obstacles they face trying to compete with the giants. Some people that I talk to and my friends are like, you know, your competitors are Zuckerberg and Musk. Like, aren't you kind of, like, afraid of that? Every Monday, our friend Ashley Escada will be curating and hosting these interviews and sharing with us what she's learned. I can't believe the McRib locator was originally a tornado locator. Right. <laughs> Pretty wild. Listen to our Solo Acts miniseries now in the Vergecast feed, anywhere you find podcasts. So I have, um, so we had um, an on and again, off again relationship with YouTube TV. Um, we, last summer when we couldn't use it for the Royals, we didn't use it. Um, and then in the um, fall when football came back on, we picked it back up. And now that we can't use YouTube TV again, we turn it, turn it off. They have like a three month deal over at Direct TV Stream where uh, you get it for $10 off per month. It's pretty expensive, but it is also pretty extensive. So it's got a lot of stuff. So I've been watching it on Direct TV Stream. Um, and if you think about it that way, like to pick up Direct TV Stream temporarily um, until, and you didn't you didn't really get into this, but until Ballet Sports releases their um, streaming service later this summer, which they are reportedly uh going to do um there have been multiple outlets that have reported this i don't know if bally sports has said anything about it but you can you know there's there's multiple um journalistic outlets that have reported that this is going to happen um you know until they get to that point we're just going to pay for it you know and in lieu of youtube tv it's a little bit more expensive um but i mean youtube tv is already pretty expensive um the downside with uh direct tv stream um, is it stinks? <laughs> the um, the web browser is is not good. Oh, it's uh, terrible. It, it's terrible, and uh, it streams to Chromecast um, like uh, Ryan O'Hearn hits lefties, which is to say, <laughs> not at all. And so basically, I just have my laptop, and I have a you know HDMI uh, plugged in to the TV, and that that actually works really well. If you can do that, great. If not, well, you're kind of SOL because there's not like a direct TV stream app on like Xbox, for instance, uh, to my knowledge, um, which is like how I would use for YouTube TV um, or, you know, Chromecast, which is what a lot of people use. Um, there are, I mean, they, there might be a Roku or Amazon Fire Stick. I didn't look at all of them, but yeah. we didn't we didn't have access to them, right? We just had Chromecast, um, Xbox or like HDMI. Um, and that's really the only way that works. Um, so... You know, that's really the only legal legal way to do it. And um, I will tell uh, listeners that I had a friend use uh, a VPN um, and MLB TV last year. And this friend told me that it was um, not reliable because while the VPN is supposed to, you know, mask your signal and, and send you somewhere else, MLB TV is pretty smart. And if it sees funny business like your... <laughs> um, uh, you know, IP address shifting between Kansas City and like, um, you know, San Francisco and then to Detroit or something like it's just going to say, nah, you can't you can't do it. So my friend told me that it was unreliable to use a VPN and MLB TV. 
and it's against their terms of service. So, you know, if you want to try that, you know, I, I guess I can't recommend it because again, it's against the terms of service, but um, also again, this friend told me that it doesn't really work very well <laughs> anyway. So, um, you know, uh, it, there's not really a whole lot of options and that, re that, that really stinks uh, because, you know, people who have cut the cord are not going to go back to reattaching the cord or whatever the, the heck the reverse is. Yeah, we have a Roku and, and the, the, they do have a direct TV channel and it's not bad. I don't, that actually works a lot better than like HBO Max, which is terrible. Um, but you're like, the web browser is so bad. Like I could not get it to work for the game while I was at work the other day and it just it was extremely frustrating. Um, yeah, but we, we do kind of what you do. We surf like every, every season. We like, I'll pick up direct TV. I did this last year. I picked up direct TV for the Royal season. Like the day the season's over, I drop it and I get a uh, sling, which has a much cheaper package, but it, you know, you have to get either the ESPN package or the Fox package. I'll usually go to ESPN cause I don't watch KU basketball games and also watch maybe the MLB postseason. But, um, yeah, it's a little frustrating. You can't. Because I literally only watch Royals and maybe a few other sporting events on on DirecTV. I do not watch, like, I don't sit down and watch, like, TBS uh, otherwise or, like, what's on, you know, History Channel. Um, other than that, I'm only watching, like, Netflix or Hulu or whatever. Uh, so I, to have a standalone, like you talk about Bally's having their own standalone streaming app, and they've talked about, you know, price point of, like, 18 to $20 a, a month. Um, you know, that's not cheap, but I, I'd pay that. That's a lot cheaper than paying for direct TV and all the channels I'm not watching. So I feel like that'd be an improvement. Jeremy, you're in a different situation. You're not in Kansas city, so you don't have the blackout restrictions. Um, but you, obviously this has been a, a problem for a lot of teams. There are 27 regional sports networks owned by Sinclair broadcasting, which owns Valley sports, Kansas city. And they have the same problem in all these, all these markets. Um, uh, they just, the, the games are not going to be available for streaming, uh, for for fans, uh, and I, I know it's incredibly frustrating. I know a lot of Royals fans are mad at the team, but f do you think the team is to blame? I mean, they they kind of sold the rights off to Valley Sports Kansas City. Is there anything they can really do about it at this point? So, um, just to clarify about my situation real quick, I do live in a completely different state over here in uh, North Carolina, so I'm way outside the Kansas City uh, radius. Uh, I, I've heard like you, you still can't even use MLB TV if you're like in Iowa, like you're not, you're not driving to a Royals game on a regular basis from Iowa, but you're not watching them on MLB TV either. Um, and then uh, as far as the VPN thing goes, I have a friend who, uh, who likes to watch the uh, Kansas city chiefs, but doesn't live in Kansas city. And there are some apps uh, that you can get your hands on on mobile devices, apparently, that will let you watch some sporting events that you wouldn't ordinarily be able to watch because of the area you're in. Uh, I, I obviously can't name them, but they do exist and they work fairly well. I like how we're all uh, saying. We so a, I've been told. I like how we are all, we are all saying we have our friend and we're winking while we. <laughs> <laughs> But yeah, so um, as far as what the Royals can do, since I'll, now I'll answer your question, actually. Uh, as far as what the Royals could do and whether they're to blame, I don't think they're to blame. They, I don't think, could have known that Sinclair was going to get 
in a feud with basically every streaming service when they sold the rights to them. Um, the Royals were trying to get as much money as they could. That's entirely reasonable for a business to do. Uh, Sinclair outbid everybody else, so they sold them to Sinclair. Uh, and now that Sinclair has those rights, there's not a whole heck of a lot the Royals can do. Uh, this is Sinclair's thing. The Royals can try and put some pressure on them, but the contract's signed. Uh, and Sinclair and Bally Sports get to do whatever they're going to do with them, uh, whatever they think is going to make them the most money. And the Royals, their their only recourse, uh, unless there's some language in the contract that nobody's mentioned to me, which I, I don't know why they wouldn't mention it to me, but unless there's some language in the contract that says, if you're not showing it to such and such percentage of local uh, viewers or whatever, uh, which, I, and I don't know why there would be or how you would measure that accurately, uh, then they're not going to be able to get out of it. And and they're just going to have to kind of deal with it until this contract is up. And who knows what the TV situation is going to be uh, by the by the time that comes around. Um, this is really an issue, not just for the Royals. This is an issue for a lot of teams uh, with the blackout rules. As I mentioned, um, Iowa can't watch Royals games. They also can't watch Cubs, uh, Cardinals, uh, I, I think I heard maybe they can't watch the Reds or the Guardians. Twin, twins and the Brewers. I can't even watch them. Yeah, yeah. the the, the MLB blackout rules are kind of crazy. Um, and I don't know what to do to fix that. I don't, I don't, I don't know enough about the whole situation about how those were developed, who controls those, uh, who can negotiate to change them. I, th- that's the thing is I don't even know who, who we should look at uh, as far as this needs to be fixed right. um, because really, honestly, the best way to, for, for baseball, it feels like to do this would be for, uh, for MLB TV to just be available to everyone everywhere, regardless of blackout rules. But then at the same time, we also see uh, they sell off the Friday night games to Apple TV and, and Amazon prime is getting some games and they've been doing experiments with Facebook and YouTube. Um, There, this is, this is really becoming an issue where the games are, there's Royals games on these services too. I know there's at least one Royals game on the Amazon and at least one Royals game on Apple TV. So I've been looking into how am I going to get a hold of these services? Um, This is even if Bally Sports fixes their stuff, this is continuing to pro- be a problem where baseball games are being fractured up across different streaming services. And you're going to end up having to have memberships to a dozen services before too much longer, unless they stop. And I don't know why they would now, um, because MLB is just in constant search of more money as opposed to uh, more availability. Availability does not appear to be even low on their priority list. It appears to not exist on their priority list uh, as far as it, it just is get more money. That's, that's the priority list. And it's, it's becoming a real issue. Yeah, they'll be on Peacock, not Amazon this year, but Peacock, yeah, who knows? Amazon could be coming around the corner. Uh, yeah. I, I, I feel like, you know, I don't mind putting games on other uh, platforms. And if it gets kind of eyeballs, you know, Oh, someone that, subscribes to apple sees a game on they're like oh let's check this out it's the exclusivity of it that really is a problem because then your royals fan that doesn't have apple tv you have to sign up for apple tv now they're making it free 
for now. I think kind of like a drug dealer gives you his first hit for free <laughs> to get you hooked. Um, <laughs> but, um, you know, it, it, it's going to be a pain to kind of search out these games on all these different platforms. And this is just a start. I mean, who knows how many platforms we could have in a, a couple years from now and you're going to find all these games piecemeal. Uh, but I do feel like this is baseball in a way is not to blame, but they are to blame. Like, I think they're not to blame in like, okay, they went for the money. You kind of understand that they sold these rights. Like when the Royals sold their rights to ballot to then Fox sports, Kansas city, I don't even think Sinclair owned them at the time. I think that was when they were still owned by, I think Disney. Right. Yeah. Um, but, um, you know, once you sell the rights, you kind of are subject to whatever they do want to do. And if they don't want to show any of your game games at all, that's kind of up to them. Um, so I kind of feel like baseball should have had some sort of protection of like, okay, look, you got to make the games available, you know, streaming, um, and, and made those games more accessible because that's a long-term problem. If the games are not accessible on streaming, that's a, there's an entire generation of cord cutters out there. Uh, you know, my, it sounds like all three of us are in that boat who, um, are not going to go back to cable. And I get that's kind of baked into the price a little bit. That's why, uh, Sinclair is willing to pay that price uh, because they know they have the exclusive rights and they can do this with the streaming what they will. Uh, but that's a big problem for, for baseball long term. And that's, and it's kind of like they're, they're cutting off their nose in spite of their face. They're not looking for long term. Instead, they're going after the cash grab for the short term money when they're losing fans by not having their games available. So hopefully, you know, we get this Bally sports app available this summer sooner than rather than later, because uh, there's a lot of people that are, not tuning into games, they can't tune into games that are just going to forget about the Royals or forget about baseball and other markets. And uh, what is baseball going to do then? I don't know. Uh, that's going to be a real challenge for the sport going forward. Let's uh, wrap up with our Royals review reviews. Matthew, uh, what do you have for us this, this week? Yeah, so um, what I have um, for you this week is uh, I've been playing Horizon Forbidden West. Um, a few weeks ago, I mentioned Horizon. I replayed Horizon Zero Dawn. Um, well, I got my PS5, um, which was which was a journey. Uh, but I got it, and then I started playing Horizon Forbidden West. Um, and I was kind of unsure um, at if the game was going to sort of stand up and be a legit sequel. The reason why I sort of thought this is if you've played Horizon Zero Dawn, you know um, there's a hook. Um, in the um, there's a narrative hook and you're trying to figure out what what's going on there's there's a mystery a central mystery to the world and uh, your character Aloy that you play as Um, and you figure that out by the end of the game so the main sort of narrative hook the two main, main narrative hooks are what's going on you know what is this world really and who am I uh, in it they are solved at the end of the game. So I was not worried, but I was, I was interested to see, you know, could the sequel to a game that relied on two very, very fascinating, very, very fascinating narrative hooks succeed if it doesn't use those hooks anymore, if it it has to do something else in order to sort of grab you in addition to the, to the gameplay. And um, without sort of revealing a whole bunch, um, it does, and it did, and it's very good. Um, and I have been playing it um, for the last few weeks. I didn't play it all of last week because I was playing uh, in a musical. I was playing in the pit of a musical at my alma mater, William Jewell. Um, so I was there every night. But 
yesterday um, or on Monday, I had my first like night to myself in a very long time. And I basically just went to the basement after eating dinner and just played Horizon Forbidden West. So um, I think I may have talked about Forbidden West before. And if so, I, I apologize. But truly, it's like been the only thing that I've been doing recently with all of the rehearsals that I've had to do. So give me a break. <laughs> Jeremy, what do you have for us this week? So I'm actually going to go to one that I haven't I haven't watched in a while, but it is uh, a big favorite of mine. Uh, I am going to recommend uh, Disney's Gravity Falls, which was an animated series on Disney, uh, lasted two seasons, which was intentional on the part of the creators. They wrote a story that could be told in two seasons. And once those two seasons were up, they resisted all temptation to try and stretch things out and said, nope, that's the end of the story. Moving on to the next thing. Um, which is kind of a bummer because I loved the characters and I loved the world that they created and I would have loved to spend more time in it. But at the same time, uh, you have to respect the creative integrity to say, no, that's the story we told. We're not going to stretch it out just for the sake of money. Um, and so just to give a basic overview of it, it is about two twins, a boy and a girl, 12 years old, uh, who are shipped off to their great uncle stands in Gravity Pines or Gravity Falls, uh, Oregon. Stan Pines is his name. And uh, he runs a kind of a shady gift shop, uh, tourist trap out there. Uh, and it's known for just all kinds of supernatural shenanigans. Uh, and they're, I can't remember if I said this, but it is important. They're there for their summer break. Um, and so uh, he, he thinks it's all fake. And he just sells tchotchkes and nonsense, uh, you know, kind of taking advantage of global tourists. And the kids gradually discover that, oh, no, this the supernatural stuff is real. It's happening. It's crazy. Um, it's a very charming uh, cartoon. Uh, it is uh, the story is in the young adult genre, I guess. So if you don't like young adult stories, then you're not going to like it. But it is not for just for kids. Kids can enjoy it. Um, I would think you'd probably want to be at least like 10 11 to really get everything out of the story it's not really a great cartoon i don't think for five-year-olds um but it, it the story is really interesting i watched it for the first time as an adult uh really enjoyed it it's just it's really solid and it, it doesn't doesn't just pander to children uh it tells a story that i think anybody can find interesting and so that is my recommendation that's very cool uh, I don't have a Royals, uh, Royals review review this week. I, other than I'll say I, I got to get a chance to go to opening day last Thursday. Uh, and I'll just say uh, opening day is a lot of fun to go to. I know prices are inflated and you deal with a lot of fans who are just there, not baseball fans who are just there because it's a party. But I was able to go. I, my, me and my friends have been going every year for like, uh, I don't know, 12, 15 years. Other than the pandemic year, uh, we've, we've got, maybe gone pretty much every year, even last year when there was a limited capacity. Uh, and it's just it's just so much fun just to go out with friends. Uh, we've kind of make it's it's tradition at this point, and uh, we kind of always know what to do as far as tailgating. Uh, we kind of got our routine down, and uh, it's just a lot of fun. I love the pomp and circumstance of seeing all the players line up, and uh, you know the flyover, and uh, you know they give the Gold Glove awards before the the game. Uh, so and then this year we got a real treat with Bobby Witt Jr. making his major league debut. So. Uh, if you do ever get the chance to go to opening day and 
A lot of you didn't go this year. It was only 28,000, one of their lowest attended opening days in a while. Um, but I would highly recommend if you ever get the chance to go with it, maybe if you find tickets aren't that expensive uh, because it is a lot of fun. And it's a great way to uh, to break up a, a long off season with some baseball. Uh, so I had, a lot, I had a lot of fun on opening day. Uh, and uh, and the Royals won, which they don't usually do on opening day. So. <laughs> Well, that'll do, us for us, uh, that'll do it for our show this week. Thank you so much for listening. Thank you to Matthew and Jeremy for being on the show and from everyone at Royals Review Radio. Hey!